Hello and welcome back to the Oregon Climate Action podcast series. This series is focused on the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's Climate Protection Program, how you can get involved in ways to take climate action now. This is the second podcast in the series. In our first podcast, we heard from Aaron Saylor with Columbia Riverkeeper and Molly Tack Hooper with Earth Justice. They told us just who the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality is, what they do, and gave us the deets on the Climate Protection Program. This is Haley K. Scott, and I'm the Climate Justice Grassroots Organizer with Beyond Toxics and the NAACP Eugene Springfield. I'm also a member of the Confederated Tribes of Sluts Indians and a descendant of the Klamath Tribes, the Yurok Tribe, and Sokogan Manichipwa. Today, I will be talking to Priya Judge from the Power Past Fracked Gas Coalition about submitting public comments and just why it's important to tell your story. So how are you doing, Priya? Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hey, Haley. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm really settling into this sort of transitory period between summer and fall now. Um, so I've been really enjoying this sort of milder weather we've been having. But thanks for asking. I'm doing well. Um, my name is Priya Judge. I use she and they pronouns. And I'm the coordinator for the Power Pass Frack Gas Coalition. I am also a organizer and learner of movements for racial and decolonial justice, including those for um, the abolition of prisons. And um, I am an indigenous person from lineages rooted in the highland northern plateau areas of Asia, known as Changnokchu. Um, to say a little bit more about Power Past Frack Gas, Power Past Frack Gas is basically a coalition of over 30 organizations across the Pacific Northwest, um, stretching all the way from Northern Washington, all the way down to Northern California. At our core, we came together uh, as a coalition to fight a lot of the massive fracked gas infrastructure projects um, that were being proposed for development in our communities. Since the coalition's inception, we've been able to defeat a lot of those projects, which is you know, just a testament to the amazing way that folks were able to collaborate and, and organize and mobilize their communities. Um, but you know, we are still very much working on getting fracked gas um, you know, out of our buildings and shutting down, you know, the last of the proposals that our communities are still fighting. Um, and we do also support, you know, the movement for climate justice, for environmental justice. And um, I'm excited to see where our coalition goes in the future. Thank you so much, Priya. We're really excited to have you as well. And so I have a couple of questions today, just because I want to see how I can get involved and how our listeners can get involved in submitting public comment and trying to, I don't know, trying to inform the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality and make sure that they are actually listening to our community members. So the first question I wanted to ask you just is what, what exactly is public comment and how can our listeners submit a comment? Yeah, so public comment is basically an opportunity that the DEQ opens up. Um, most state agencies do a similar public participation process, but for this rulemaking um, at the DEQ, they're opening up a few months as a period just to gather public input on the rules that they've drafted so far. 
And so for folks who are interested in um, getting involved here, this is a really awesome way to let DEQ know, um, you know your community's investment in this rulemaking process. And there are a few different ways um, that you can submit comment. You know, you can send them by snail mail for folks who, um, you know, are a little old school. Um, there's also email, um, or you can also give your testimony in person at the upcoming public hearings in September, um, in late September, I should say. So lots of the PowerPass frac gas partner organizations, including, you know, Rogue Climate, Oregon Physicians for Social Responsibility, Columbia Riverkeeper, um, Breach Collective, and Beyond Toxics are convening a workshop on September 21st, ahead of the first hearing on the 22nd, specifically on how to write comments. All comments have to be sent in by October 3rd, but um, this gives us, I think, a good amount of time for folks who are still interested um, in getting involved in this, um, you know, participatory sort of public feedback process that the DEQ is putting on. I should also say that, you know, when these rules were being created, there was not a lot of input or consultation um, with frontline communities, including, um, you know, communities who are most impacted by climate change, including, you know, black and brown folks, um, tribal nations, um, you know, rural communities, low-income communities. And so, this is really a chance to make those concerns from our communities heard. Wow, thank you so much, Priya. That that really clears some things up for me. And yeah, just to restate those important dates again. So folks, they have a chance to submit public comment until October 3rd. And it looks like there are two different opportunities to provide comment. And so I'm just trying to make sure we got those Um ready to go. So the first public hearing is on September 22nd, 2021 at 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can join via Zoom and you can find all this information on the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's website and they're under their greenhouse gas emissions program. And then it looks like they have another public hearing hosted by the Environmental Quality Commission on September 30th from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. So I would make sure to check out that website and get those dates on your calendar if you are interested in submitting comment. So I just wanted to go back really, really quickly to one of the big points Priya mentioned is that the folks who were representing environmental justice organizations and communities during the climate protection program rulemaking process, I don't, I don't feel that they were really heard during that process. And so that's why I feel that ODEC has really missed the mark for both climate and equitable outcomes for our communities. And they've also missed an opportunity to create a real impact to curtail greenhouse gas emissions in Oregon. So that's why I, you know, I just really think that public participation in the public comment process is so important. I think that DEQ staff, EQC, they need to hear from voices that aren't generally a part of this process. And just speaking as someone who is a little new to grassroots organizing, I'm still learning how to submit public comment. And I really think that my community members, let's say back home in the Klamath Basin, or even my my new community that I've been building up here in the Willamette Valley, I, I think their voices need to be heard. And so I really appreciate you laying that out for us, Priya. Totally. Thanks for posing the question, Haley. I think you also raised a lot of really important points around sort of the gaps in the rulemaking. And so really looking forward to, you know, all the work 
that the many organizations have come together to, to do around this process. So the next couple of questions that I had for you, Priya, is just, you know, we, we have opportunity to submit public comment, but why, why is public participation in the comment process important? Why, why, should, we, why should we even bother? Well, to start at the level of the rulemaking process, the current rules that DEQ's drafted propose not regulating frac gas power plants in Oregon at all, which are, you know, the biggest sources of carbon pollution in our state. Um, and so that essentially means that corporations get to offset the worst effects of climate collapse onto black, brown, and, you know, other marginalized communities. And um, these are communities who are already experiencing, you know, some of the most you know, crushing effects of American colonialism and, and militarism. And, you know, black and brown folks on these lands have always been, um, you know, scapegoated and treated like collateral damage in the sort of grander scheme of American capitalism and profit making. And, you know, a lot of us come from communities that have generations of historical trauma that comes directly from structural disenfranchisement and displacement. And, you know, now these toxic fossil fuel infrastructures that we're fighting are going to be allowed to operate squarely in our neighborhoods under no emissions regulations. So being a part of this comment process is just, you know, one prong of advocacy in this entire thriving ecosystem of movement and and justice work in our communities. Dang, thank you for giving us that rundown about why why we should submit public comment and then even just thinking about all the different factors that have impacted people, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and has determined where we are today. So I think it's good to just think about all the interconnectedness. And so I really appreciate you running us through that. And so it sounds like the rules, the draft rules have already been drafted. And so I'm just wondering, like, what impact can I actually make um, since those rules have been drafted already? Totally. I mean, I think from what we've gathered so far and by the fact that, you know, there are multiple um, hearings that DEQ is putting on just to gather public comment, there is a lot of interest in hearing from, you know, communities who are going to be directly impacted by these rules. And I think when I'm kind of confronted with this question of why does this matter? matter? Um, like, why bother give public comment? Um, or why bother, you know, be a part of this work at all? I think it's important to just remember that, you know, Black and Brown folks are everywhere, right? In rural communities, in lower income communities, in queer and disabled communities, in prisons, etc. Um, and I say that because, you know, all these intersections of how we exist in society contribute directly to our being harmed, right? All of this harm is structural, which means it's by design and it's intentional. Our communities are intentionally targeted because we're made to have less power, right? Which is why we need to source that power from within our communities, build community power um, that, you know, relies on one another to build each other up and really act on visions for the future that come out of our own sense of our community's worth. So that's just something that always helps ground me when I'm feeling, you know, a little bit resigned about the work or especially when I'm talking to young people, you know, who feel that they don't have power to, you know, change the circumstances that they're in. So 
Well, Priya, you got me fired up. Now I want to submit public comment. <laughs> Make sure my voice is heard and, you know, even just try and serve as an example for people younger than me. I mean, I'm 25 and I feel kind of old, but I know that people younger than me are really making their voices heard. And so that's, I find inspiration in that as well. Um, so thank you so much for, for saying all of that. I really, I really do appreciate it. And so you talked about, you know, being sometimes resigned about this work. I know just working as a climate justice grassroots organizer, sometimes a lot of the issues that we're trying to help address are overwhelming. So I just, you know, I want to ask you, like, what reasons do we have for hope? Like, what what can we keep under our, our tool belt to help us keep going? And so I just wanted to hear from you as a as another fellow organizer. Like, what what do you do, what do you do to keep moving forward? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I love this question. So I think about this a lot because um, you know I think we have so many reasons for hope. Um, and I will say, you know, as an indigenous person who comes from a lineage of flourishing in conditions where we were never meant to flourish, hope and specifically climate optimism is really the only choice available to us for our survival and thriving. You know, there is really no other choice, which is interesting because, you know, there is a lot of this sort of doomsday rhetoric in mainstream conversations on climate. Um, the sense that, you know, we've already gone too far and there's no turning back and everything is hopeless. Um, but what I always come back to is that, you know, my peoples and I'm sure, you know, Native folks everywhere, um, you know, Black folks, displaced folks can probably relate to this. We have already experienced apocalypse many times over, right? Our worlds have shattered in front of our eyes, um, but we're still alive and we still see ourselves thriving in our futures. So I don't really believe in this very defeatist understanding of the climate because, um, you know, apocalypse essentially at its core is just decay, right? Decay of old systems, old structures, and decay and regrowth is a natural process of the earth, right? If anything, the collapse of human society, as we know it, just means the end of capitalism and colonialism, which is what a lot of us are organizing toward anyway, right? So um, to come back to your question, Haley, about hope, um, as much as we're seeing, you know, the effects of centuries of violence against the earth, you know, manifest in these really immense and and painful ways right now, I think we have to keep in mind that when faced with apocalypse, it has always been hope, you know, that has moved us into our futures. Like I I am the living future that my ancestors imagined. And I imagine the futures of, you know, my lineage will come after me. And I really think it is um, you know, really deep trust and reverence for the knowledges that our ancestors co-created with the land for generations upon generations. Um, I think that's what gives us the courage to be as we are and imagine futures for ourselves and our communities while still you know, living squarely in the most massive dislocations our people have ever lived, you know, and also build home amidst those massive historical ruptures and ruptures in our lineages, right? So I don't know if this is resonating with you, Haley, but um, for me, hope is really an ancestral practice. And it's it's what I'm called to because it was, you know, my ancestors' hope that brought me into being. And, you know, that understanding, it's something that 
you know, as a young person living in occupied territories, while coming from peoples who fled the occupation of our native territories, I really had to fall hard, you know, fail, do harm, be harmed, you know, in order to come into these understandings of my own place in the world. And, you know, as a young brown indigenous femme navigating all of this alienation and feeling like I didn't belong, I didn't know that my experiences were being directly shaped by capitalism, right? Capitalism directly fragments our communities and also removes us from ourselves. And so I had to learn hope. And it has really been hope for my future, my community and my people's future that has kept me alive and you know, reassured me that I am here and I exist as a reminder of everything that is precious to live for, right? This is our ancestral teaching and that's our way of life. And there's there's this Black femme writer. I take a lot of inspiration from queer Black feminist traditions and gene- genealogies of thought and practice. Um, and there's this Black femme writer named Rachel Cargill who talks about this, um, how you know a lot of the issues that we're fighting for won't change in our lifetime. So unless we create our own spaces for freedom and and liberation and joy, then they might not ever come you know, before we're um, gone. And so we have to offer those possibilities to ourselves and also to each other. So for folks who like gardening, (laughs) this is a really apt gardening metaphor (laughs) because I think of it as tending to a garden. You know, I've noticed that a lot of our feelings about the climate are mirrors of our own feelings about our futures. So climate optimism and and hope in general takes practice, right? It's, It's not easy by any means because... What about living, you know, under the conditions of capitalism would make it easy, you know? Um, so it's it's a really day in and day out practice of just rooting myself in my own ontologies and discovering, you know, many pathways to rematriation under the surveillance of colonialism. And, you know, all of these things, living through my ancestral teachings, especially seed hope in me. And hope grows where you water it, right? So you have to treat yourself like fertile soil first as a site for, you know, potential transformation that's always in flux and never static and life-giving if you tend to it consistently with with patience and reciprocity. So to just make a massive loop back to this DEQ process, um, as far as climate optimism and, and this rulemaking process goes, I would really encourage folks who feel empowered to share to do so. Um, but I would also add that, you know, our stories are sacred and generational messages, right? And so I encourage people to share what they feel comfortable sharing, how they feel comfortable sharing it, because, you know, we know our stories have power, even if they're not legitimated or heard by, um, you know, folks in power, we know that they have power. And so I think for me, I have to remember that this is not any sort of, you know, end all be all, but it is just, you know, one aspect of how our communities are, communities are pushing back to, um, you know, the massive violent impositions that are being, you know, enacted on our communities. So I will just pause there. I know I said a lot, (laughs) but thank you all. Yeah, no problem. I was enjoying listening to you, actually. And so thank you. Thank you for saying all of that. That was really beautiful. And a lot of it did resonate with me, just thinking of myself as a Native person, a Native woman 
thinking about my ancestors and everything that they did to help me be where I am today. And so I, you know, I really hear you that we need to make the space and make our voices heard because, I mean, it may be the the wrong thing to say, but it feels right for me to say it is that we're going to be the only ones to do it. Thank you, Priya, so much for joining us today and telling us all about the public comment process. I hope our listeners were inspired. I'm definitely inspired. And I want to make sure that DEQ staff and the EQC hear hear our voices and make sure that they really, really take the needed action to, one, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but also make sure that this program is equitable. And so, Priya, do you, do you have any closing thoughts before we before we end today? I just wanted to take a second to thank y'all for putting together this podcast series and for, you know, being a part of the super important team that has been helping organize um, community members around this rulemaking process. I think it was so cool to see, um, you know, so much of the relationship building that many of our organizations have been doing, um, especially during, you know, COVID times come to fruition through um, this rulemaking process. And so I'm really excited to to keep working on this with y'all. And thank you again for having me. Um, I would just offer to folks that, um, you know, we are in very uncertain times, um, both, you know, in our organizing landscapes and also the broader conditions of the world. And so I would just offer to folks to please take care of yourselves, check in with yourselves and invest in community care and in the, the well-being of those around you. So that is, that is just some last um, reminders that I hope um, would be helpful to folks, especially young folks who might be listening to this, who might be feeling down or, you know, otherwise a little bit lost. Um, because I was also in that position as a young person. And so those are really the folks that I that I hope to reach and, and speak to. But thanks again, y'all. Thank you for that reminder, Priya. I, I definitely hear you there. Um, and so thank you all for listening to our second Oregon Climate Action podcast. In our next podcast, we're going to be talking about some next steps and what's going to happen after this rulemaking process. So stay tuned.